All right, well, it's so good to have you here this morning. Uh, my name is Howie. I'm one of our seven pastors here at The Well. And I'm so excited to be able to bring uh, this message to you today. Pastor Jason and Pastor Erica are both out of town. They're actually at their childhood church today, yeah. preaching together, celebrating an anniversary there. And so it's so good to be able to allow them to do that and also to be able to, to speak to folks that um, have been a big part of their lives and um, continue to be part of that community there. And so today, I'm super excited to bring you a message out of the book of Genesis. And so we got a chunk of scripture today. You okay with that? Yeah. And we're going to camp out in there for a long time today. And I've only got a couple other verses. We want to focus here on Genesis 3. So in verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you'll die. No, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. We're gonna spend some time in that passage today, but first I would love uh, for us to take a moment to pray. Would you join me? God, we know that uh, you've promised that the truth will set us free. Yeah. So I pray today as we lean, oh, excuse me, into this passage that the truth would set us free. I don't know why, but I feel a weight in this room today and I know that we are carrying things and so I just pray that you would help heal us and renew us in only the way that your spirit can. Yes. So would you guide? I don't want these to be my words. Would you honor my preparation, but would you speak your words? Yeah. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So today, as we continue our series, Shadows in the Light, I want to speak to you from the subject, Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. <laughs> so when I was a kid... Um, you know, when you're a kid, you use that phrase a lot of times as your defense mechanism when someone's telling you something untrue. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And then there's a, a phrase that comes after it. Do you know it? Hanging on a telephone wire. Liar, liar, pants on fire, hanging on a telephone wire. It's nonsensical. But I will promise you that when I was five years old, I would swear to you that I made that up. <laughs> and I believed it from the bottom of my heart. In fact, I believed it for a very long time. And my friends would tell me, you did not make that up. And I knew that they were liars. <laughs> I knew for a fact that I had made up this phrase, liar, liar, pants on fire, 
hanging from a telephone wire. It wasn't until I was much older that I learned that I, in fact, did not make that up. And it's because back in the 80s, there was no such thing as a six-year-old influencer, right? Like, I didn't have that kind of power to get a catchphrase. Those only happened through sitcoms, like, what you talking about, Willis, and stuff like that. I did not have the power to make a catchphrase go national. And as I started to meet people that were from different places and spaces and what I grew up in, it became readily apparent that I did not make up that phrase. But here's the deal. Believing that lie and coming to the reality that it was a lie rocked my world. It really shifted something inside of me because it wasn't just that I was wrong, but the reality that I believed in shifted. What I fundamentally believed about myself had changed. See, I was, I was embarrassed because it seemed like I was foolish. Like it, it seems kind of like a silly thing. But I realized that I was capable of framing an entire reality where I had made up the saying, but it wasn't true. I was a liar and I was a liar to myself and I believed me right? So that makes me ask the question this, what things do I believe that aren't based on reality? What things do I believe that aren't based on reality? Because coming to this thing for me, this realization that I could lie to myself and believe it, that was a big step in changing my faith. It was a big step as a young man to coming to this idea, oh, okay, I am not the determining factor on what's true and what isn't. So it took deeper root in my actual life, and that is a step in spiritual formation. When this shift happens, that you realize I am not the constructor of truth in my life. We've been talking and leaning into spiritual formation this whole year, and we will continue to lean into it. And so as we go into this today, I want to talk about liar, liar, pants on fire. So I knew about some verses. There were some verses I grew up, well, I didn't grow up in church, but I did youth group in high school. And so I, some verses came, they would get thrown at us all the time, such as Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Even Matthew 16, 23, which Pastor Jason talked about last week, but he, meaning Jesus, turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And Romans 8, 5, for those who live according to the flesh and set their minds on the things of the flesh, um, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So when I was younger, I thought this was thinking about good things instead of bad things, right? So it was always about, oh, listen to this music, not that music. Watch this TV show, not that TV show. That's not what it means. Because when scripture's talking about transformed, it's the same word for metamorphosis. It's a, it's a total change of the way that we think. It's not just about what we're putting in or listening to or doing. It is a change in the way that we think. So where do we even start with this? So I think we have to figure out what things we believe that aren't anchored into reality or to put it another way, what lies do we believe? So that's why we're starting at the beginning with the first lie. And we're in Genesis 3. 
And I love a good storyteller. And this is a great story. In fact, when I was doing some work on this, um, it kind of reminded me as it laid out the way uh, Quentin Tarantino lays out his movies. So it has, and if you can get beyond the gratuitous violence and stuff like that, he is a <laughs> phenomenal storyteller, right? He is a phenomenal storyteller with, with great camera shots and amazing dialogue. And so um, I set up, if you can indulge me a little bit, we set up today a little bit like a Quentin Tarantino story. So um, that's how our slides are going to be. And Genesis 3 is told like only a great storyteller can, sell, can tell it. So chapter 1 is the setup. So we're in Genesis 3, 1 and 3. And I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, we're going to camp out here. And this is a great day to write in the margins, circle some words, and connect them to other words. Uh, it's, it's such a great story, I have to tell you. So Genesis 3, 1 through 3. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. So every story begins with great characters and we have two great characters right off the bat. We have the cunning serpent and a woman. And so also what happens with a great story, and I can't do this in the way that Tarantino does, but it has a great backstory, right? So we're going to go backwards to find out some details that are going to add a lot of color to this story because this story has three really important backstory details that are super important. So we're going to go backwards to Genesis 2, 16 through 17, and we read this. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So there are two important backstory points in this. So if you're taking notes, number one, the Lord God commanded who? The man. The Lord God commanded the man. Very important detail in our story. Number two, you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Very specific tree that you cannot eat from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Evil. Now, can you climb this tree? Yeah. Well, we don't know, but we know that you can't eat from it. Okay? Can you look at the tree? Sure thing. What can you not do with this tree? You cannot eat from the tree. That's our important detail number two. Also, we're going to back up a little bit more. Genesis 2.9. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So our third important backstory point, there are two trees in the middle of the garden. There's the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we've got the backstory. So let's go back. Genesis 3, 1 through 3. We're going to read it again. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Do you see that things are often her response now? We don't really know exactly why her response is off, but there's definitely three things in here that are off right. from her response, from what we know in, from our backstory. 
So she could willfully misrepresent what God is saying, or she could just be unclear. We don't know. But what we do know is that there's three things that are off. Number one, she got God's instructions indirectly. She did not hear God's words directly from him. The Lord God commanded the man, you shall not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Number two, she lacked clarity in her response. She said the tree in the middle of the garden. Well, we've already landed. There are two trees in the middle of the garden. So there's a lack of clarity in what she's responding to. And number three is she added to God's instructions. Not only can I not eat of it, I can't even touch it. He never said that. And because the woman exaggerates God's command, she's already beginning to play along with the deception of the serpent. So there's a wedge of mistrust that's being driven deeper and deeper and deeper. Do you feel the tension in the story? We're only three verses in. There's a lot of tension we're building up. All right, chapter two, the lie. Genesis three, four through five. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent says, well, what you were told is wrong. What you were told is totally false. And here's the problem. She has no way to defend against that because she didn't get it directly. She only has to go through the man, her husband, to figure out what God said. She didn't have that direct upline. She was relying on somebody else to get her commands from God, which she's already twisted and already turned around. And whether he twisted them when he told her or she did it, we don't know, but we just know that they're not right. right. And it's because she got it from a second party. She learned her information from someone she trusted, but not from the very mouth of God. So not only, the serpent says, not only were you told something wrong, it's actually just the opposite. It's just the opposite, Eve. And lies love to breed on extremes. The serpent says, you won't die. You're going to be godlike, right? You're going to know good from evil. We're talking about extremes. God's holding out on you. Here's the thing. Until this moment, all she knows is good. All she knows is good. We have the entire creation narrative. All through Genesis 1, God created this, and it was good. 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 God created this, it was good. God created male and female, and it was very good. All we've got's good. We don't even have evil in the story yet. Why does she need to know the difference? Chapter 3, the belief. Genesis 3, 6a, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Do you see in here that two of the three things are true that she sees? Two are true, one is not, or at least is twisted. So your backstory again, back to Genesis 2, 9, the Lord God 
caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the trees were good for food. All the trees were pleasing in appearance. That's nothing new. There's no new information there. We've already got it. The lie bred on her desire for obtaining wisdom. She internalized the lie. It went in on her desire. And wisdom is a good thing too, right? We don't have any problem with wisdom. I pray for wisdom all the time. If you're a parent, you pray for wisdom all the time. But it was the missing thing that drove her for what she had to have because she wasn't searching just for wisdom. What she was searching for was autonomy from God. She wanted autonomy for God because that wisdom allowed her to now make her own decisions on what was good and what was evil. She could define it for herself. And that lie bred on that desire. Genesis 3, 6, the second half of that verse. So she took some of its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. He was there the whole time. He was there the whole time. You guys, this is like sixth sense, knives out, plot twist. He was there the whole time. He was there the whole time. This is who God spoke the command to. He never speaks. He never speaks. He's there the whole time. Doesn't say a word. He never says, get behind me, Satan. He never says, um, well, God actually said nothing. He has nothing, nothing to say. He stands there and does nothing. And so then we're left with the next chapter, the consequence. We see that God's order has already been ruined right away. Immediately, there are ramifications. Genesis 3, 7 through 13. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. (laughs) So the God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Do you see the consequence right off the bat? We have two things right away. The first is shame. The first is shame. They took fig leaves, covered themselves. They hid behind the trees. How ironic that they would hide behind trees and it was the tree that was the whole problem in the first place. They started to blame, shift responsibility. That man, I have that man in there. He never says, yep, I did it. He just says, that woman. And then I ate. He blames her. She blames a serpent. She probably could have blamed him too, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> but everything's already off, yeah. right? 
We took a turn in six verses. We took a turn. And it gets worse. Because we read, as we go along through Genesis 3, all of the things that end up happening. Pain through childbirth. That work becomes toil. That there's enmity between uh, the woman and the man. The relationships are a struggle. There's ongoing consequences. We grab this Bible and we see there's hundreds of pages of consequence after this moment. And you guys feel the consequence today too. It doesn't take much observation to realize that our world's off kilter, right? The offness that you sense, that weird sensation that things are not the way that they should be, that's hardwired into you because you were designed to exist with God in a garden in close proximity and relationship with him. And since that's been ruined, we are now, we feel off. You have a desire for Eden to exist again. It's why we feel unhappy, unfulfilled, like we're never satisfied, we're never measuring up. We feel unhealthy, disconnected, forgotten, alone. It's why we feel rejected, abandoned, fearful, It's why we elevate ourselves to take control. It's why we seek out autonomy from God. We don't want to feel that way, so maybe if we take control, maybe we can prevent it, right? It's why we search for satisfaction in so many things, but nothing seems to satiate those feelings. It might work for a little bit, but once the hit, the adrenaline, the dopamine wears off, those feelings come back again. So just on to the next thing. You might be sitting in this room feeling the shame of your past or even your present. You might feel the deep pain of trauma that's happened in your life. You might be going through that right now, and I get it. You might be looking for something to fill that hole inside. You might have attempted to fill that hole this morning. Can I tell you this, please? If you fill that hole with something that isn't designed to bring healing and wholeness to you, it will just soak into your soul and you'll be left feeling the same, but with more consequences. It's where so many of us in this room exist right now. We have the desire for a whole world, a good world, a world that operates correctly, where people live in harmony rather than in fear, where my pain and brokenness cease to exist and where I am content. The Bible has a name for this. It's Eden. Or in the New Testament, it's the kingdom of God. I was having a conversation with somebody uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she was talking about how she was having a a discussion with a a friend at work and how she had had this boldness to talk about Jesus with this friend at work. And and the friend uh, responded back with, well, I'm very spiritual. And uh, she didn't know how to respond to that. And a lot of us don't know how to respond. How do, we, how do you respond to someone? I, I'm very, I consider myself spiritual, but I'm not religious. Well, somebody being spiritual, they're just acknowledging that same longing. Yeah. All they're doing is acknowledging that they have that same longing for Eden, yeah. for the kingdom of God, for things to be made correct and whole and right. Uh, Author Mark Sayers has a great phrase for this, and it's, they want the kingdom, 
They just want it without the king. But here's the truth, it's not possible. It's not possible to have the kingdom without the king. And so we search for, we do all these things to try to make things right. All these things to try to, to try to shift it, but all of that is a lie. It's all based on a reality that does not exist. The real reality is there is a kingdom, but that kingdom has a king. So we've acquired all these beliefs that are built on this lie, that we can get the kingdom without the king. So, like a good Quentin Tarantino movie go, works, we're going to now go backwards, back through our chapter. So we're going back to chapter, The Belief. So what are you believing about yourself and the world around you? What's off? Do you believe that you're an autonomous creature full of pushing, uh, full of pushing the limits of existence? Do you believe that others are always in competition against you? that maybe there's not quite enough to go around, so I better get mine. Do you believe that most people are good? And so the fact that someone is bad to you, evil to you, means that there's something wrong with you? Do you believe that there's a political system that'll make the world right? Do you believe that you're just a complicated machine that if you get your gears to line up properly, then you'll be able to find happiness? Do you believe that you can reach your full potential? Do you believe that you should have no restriction to your freedom? Do you believe that you're made for greater things? Do you believe that you can take on the world on your own terms? If you said yes to any of those last four questions, that's the same thing Eve believed. That was the temptation given to her. She doesn't need to have restriction. She can be her own person. She can reach her own full potential. Just eat it. That's all you need. It's a noble lie, but a lie nonetheless. Now, a noble lie is this. A falsehood told by an individual or a group in power with the aim of manipulating those under their power into doing what otherwise they would not do, often with the veneer of a noble purpose. Plato kind of uh, originated this idea of the noble law. He used it to, divine, to, to define the social strata of Greek society. And it deeply influences our political culture today. And you might be saying, well, I don't believe the lie the other side does. That is the noble lie. Some of you, and if you have kids in here, you might want to cover their ears, but um, have used Elf on a Shelf. Also a noble lie. Yeah. <laughs> those in power manipulating those without the power to do something that has a veneer of a good purpose. All advertising is built on noble lies, right? When I was a kid, there'd be a commercial for Frosted Flakes, right? And at the end of it, it always have this tagline, part of this nutritious breakfast. It's a bowl of Frosted Flakes the size of my face, two pieces of white bread, a big old glass of orange juice and a bigger glass of milk. It's like 2,000 carbohydrate calories, but it's part of my nutritious breakfast so I could tell my mom, Mom, I want Frosted Flakes because they're nutritious. Right. Right. That's good. 
So Eve is told that it's time to make her own decisions. Be everything she can be and not to be held back by the artificial constraints of God's nannying. Just eat it. Eve thinks she's acting in her own best interests, but she's slavishly following Satan's lie. Could this be our reality as well? So here's the lie. The next chapter, the lie. <laughs> like Eve, we often get the lie wrapped up in good things. She had two things that were true and one that wasn't. She saw that it looked good, would taste good, and would give her what she wanted, and so she went for it. And you might be doing the same. I have to take care of me. Autonomy. There's only so much to go around. Scarcity. Maybe you believe, as Dallas Willard puts it, the Bible is a set of rules set up to restrict my personal freedom. Maybe, as John Mark Homer says, your inner intuition is the most accurate map to the happy life you crave. So we say, I, want, I, I need to follow my heart. I, I have to be true to myself. Are any of you uncomfortable in this moment? <laughs> we are constantly told these things. Constantly. And you're wrestling with me, and you're saying, what's wrong with that? What is wrong with that? I, I do have to be true to myself. That's an autonomy that you're seeking out that's not the way that you were designed. It wasn't the part of the created order. You want the kingdom without the king. It's not possible. It's not possible. Maybe you believe a couple of Christian-y lies. You're well, poke, the, poke the knife in a little bit more, right? All right. How many, of, how many of you heard that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you believe, that means I can't fail. That means I can do whatever. I, can, I started that business, and it bombed, and now the Bible's untrue because it promised that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's the problem. It never says it that way. The verse is not a promise of not failing. The Bible is a promise of being content through suffering. And we miss that point all the time. And we've had, you see, Instagram little pictures with flowers and mountains and that quote thrown out there. And you're supposed to believe, well, that means I can't fail. I just, it must be something about me. It's a lie. It's a lie. How many of you have heard the verse, God won't give me more than I can handle? <laughs> I would like you to turn in your Bibles to Imaginations 3.16. That is an abject lie. And if you've believed it, I'm sorry. Because you've been put in a situation that won't line up with the reality of your life. And you wonder, where is God in this? And what is wrong with me? And where is everything going off kilter? So we do have a phrase that's been twisted to be that, and it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has come upon you except what's common to humanity. But God's faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond that what you are able. But with the temptation, he'll also provide the way out so you may be able to bear it. Our lies are tangled up. Our lies are tangled up sometimes in really, really good things. So how do we detangle them? How do we detangle them? So we're back to the setup. 
What would have solved this entire garden problem? This whole problem from the story that we had, what would have solved it? If only Eve would have said and did what God said. If only she had gotten words directly from him. If only she'd been clear about what God had said. If only she didn't add to what he said. If only Adam didn't sit in silence. If only Adam had the conviction that what God told him was true. Yeah, that's good. It's the same for me and you too. We have this Bible and it's, it's a miracle book. Like it's a book, it's not only full of miracles, but the fact that we have it is a miracle. It is a beautifully constructed library of books and letters that are put together to tell the story of God. Second yeah. Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So we say this a lot around here. Pastor Jason prays this almost before every sermon. Your word's alive. It's active, it's powerful, it has the ability to transform us, it has the ability to, to divide between bone and marrow, and we believe it here. Because it's what the Bible says about itself, and it's the truth. When we talk about it being breathed, the word breathed is the same as saying it was spirited. So saying the Holy Spirit, the Holy Breath, same word. So if the Holy Spirit breathed out the words on these pages, and it's the same Holy Spirit that lives in you, yeah. if you said yes to Jesus, yeah. God wants to reveal what he's saying about himself to you through these pages. We have the ability to get words directly from God. We don't have to rely on somebody else. Challenge whatever I'm saying today. Please go read it. Say you were wrong because you're just that, you're a secondary person. I want to talk with a man. Please, may I see your manager? But we have our lie detector. This is our lie detector. It untwists and unravels lies from the truth. The only way you know is if you read it. And I'm not here to put a guilt trip on you. I'm honestly here to help you. The only way that you know it is if you read it. So to know the words of God, to do the words of God, it sounds simple. It ain't easy. Simple does not equate to easy. So I, I listen to the Bible every day. Um, and it's a, it's a habit I've really only done for about the past five years. And I do it every day, religiously. <laughs> I very rarely get behind. And the beautiful thing that it's done for me is that I'll hear these things again and again and again, repeated again and again and again. I'm like, I've heard that, but I didn't hear it that way. I think sometimes we're like, oh, I've been a Christian for a while. I've heard that before. But did you hear it that way? I just spent hours on this message this week. I didn't hear it this way before. I've probably read this passage 300 times. And God brought something new to me in it. So I I listened to a uh, Bible. I listened to it every morning. And um, it's different for me than reading. It, It 
puts a different part of my brain in uh, connection with it, and uh, it helps me. But there's a prayer beforehand that we pray before we read it. And there's one line in there that really grabbed me this week. And it's, God, correct any lies I believe about you or anything I misunderstand. Because it doesn't matter if you read it and don't understand all of it. I think some of us get in this hurdle of like, but I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. I understand we got these like tribes and people names and all this stuff. But if you have a 1% better understanding of who God is after that, isn't that a step in the right direction? When we're talking about formation, spiritual formation in our lives, that is not something that you arrive at. You are constantly being formed into the person you are going to become. What is forming you? What is forming you? If you spend five minutes listening to a couple of chapters and you, one lie is revealed that you believed, isn't that a good thing? Aren't you closer to the reality of the kingdom that way? Yes. Isn't that the longing of your soul? Yeah. It's the work of spiritual formation. And Jesus modeled this for us when he was tempted. Right? He was faced with three temptations every time, right back with scripture. That's the tool that we're supposed to have. Yeah. All right, my final chapter. The other person. <clears throat> so I've been holding out on you. If you paid attention to the story, you realize there's a character we haven't really talked about yet. And really, the story is about him in the end. The story isn't about Adam and Eve. It's not about a serpent. It's about God. The story is about God. The Bible is not about you and me. It's not about the things that we need to have a happy, successful life. It's about who the creator of the universe is. So in Genesis 3, 8 through 13... And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So this passage can really change with the way that we read it. It's all about the tone. And so many of us read it with the tone of an angry God. Where are you? What did you do? Angry God stomping around. Why are you hiding from me? Get out here and show yourselves. There's nothing in this passage that indicates that. And there's nothing in the backstory that indicates that. We bring those things and those tones in and lay them on scripture and say, see, God's just an angry God. Does not say that. In fact, everything that's shown in here is a tender God. And that's why I've read it the way that I've read it. And that may have actually made you feel uncomfortable. God says, where are you? I'm here where we always meet, where we're always together and you're not. Where'd you go? I wanna be with you. 
I miss you. He's not threatened by what Adam and Eve have done. Their sin doesn't make him withdraw. He's there and present. It's them that's missing. They're the ones that have left. Because we can get these impressions of a God who doesn't actually exist. And then we say, see, see, it's just like I knew. Those are lies. They're things that we misbelieve. We have to let it say, let the scriptures speak for what the scriptures say. Because everything in the story shows a good God. Everything. If you read back to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It was the end of the first day, and it was good. And it was the end of the second day, and it was good. And it was the end of the third day, and it was good. And the fourth day, good. Fifth day, good. Sixth day, very good. There's nothing but goodness. Nothing but goodness. And somehow we read this and we feel, oh, there's angry God again. But everything that Adam and Eve had known to that point was good. And when they hide, when Adam and Eve hid, God pursued. And when Adam and Eve were unclear in their excuses, God clarifies. And when Adam and Eve are ashamed, God exposes it. Here's the biggest thing. God tells Adam and Eve the truth. The rest of Genesis 3 carries out all the direct consequences of that because when God speaks, it's the truth. It's unvarnished. It's hard to hear. It's uncomfortable. He tells them really uncomfortable, hard things, but he never lies to them. Not even for their own good. In the Bible, God never gets people to believe in something that's untrue in order to ensure a particular outcome, even if that outcome would be good. I love, again, Christopher Watkins says this, God never sugarcoats the pill of sin or repentance just to manipulate people into following him. Because the problem with being spiritual is it never deals with the stuff that's inside of us. We need the king to shape the kingdom. And here's, here's the beautiful thing too. God's word has one truth for everyone. For little kids, for grown-ups, for black, white, brown, rich, poor, Western, African, Asian, for professors and the mentally ill. One truth. It's found in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You are not alone in your sin. All of us, every single one of us from the first to the last. But we avoid conversations of sin and judgment. It makes us uncomfortable. Well, I'd rather have my truth where I'm just okay. We coin them as evil, dangerous. They're hard. Nobody likes them. But you guys, here's the good news. This is a good news, church, and a bad news story. Because what we find is that when we continue to read on about the consequences that come up in chapter three, that are faced as a result of this event, God's faithful. 
Because we read about those consequences, like I mentioned earlier, relational consequences, difficulty with work, it's now toil, pain and childbirth, all of this strife that we face. But in the curse of the serpent, God says this, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Because this is a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah, Jesus. Jesus is as much in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. And he starts right here in Genesis 3, this promise of this person, God, that we need that's gonna crush the serpent. Because a bite on the heel hurts, but you crush a head, that's fatal. Jesus is bruised and beaten and crucified, but he dealt a death blow to the serpent. He dealt a death blow to the lies. He's defeated. The lies are defeated because Jesus rose from the grave. And so today, the pursuing God asks, where are you? Where are you? I'm right here. Have you been hiding? He's saying, your shame doesn't threaten me. Your blame doesn't make me go away. I am right here pursuing you. Please come out of hiding. I want to be with you. So today, as we close out, I'd just like you to take a moment. Maybe the Spirit has pulled something out of your soul of a lie. Maybe you've been believing and you're like, I don't even know what to do with this right now. We just take a moment, name that for yourself. Name what it is. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll be lifting out lies from this place right now. Those things that have strongholds on people's lives. Things that have weighed them down where they haven't been able to see the fullness of who you are. Would you free them from those things right now? Today, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus and so... Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you that opportunity to say yes, because he's a pursuing God. He pursued you so far that he left the comforts of heaven to come to earth and flesh, was born, lived a sinless life and died for you, rose from the grave to show his power over death. And so if you would bow your heads, close your eyes and just ask everybody in here to pray this prayer. If it's for the first time, man, it's such a great prayer to pray. If you could repeat after me, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I give you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me. Change me. Make me new. I commit today to follow you all the days of my life. Free me from the lies I believe and I give my life to you, pursuer of my soul.